let's get into this. I don't think I'll be super long, but we'll see. Uh, so Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are, Lord. Jesus, we thank you for all you've done for us. I ask today, Lord, that you would just open our hearts to receive what you speak, Lord. Get me out of your way, Lord, so you can speak to us today, and let us all be changed by what you'll say, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, I like this verse. It uh, this is actually was a super easy message to put together. It uh, it well, considering I'm only going to be mostly in one place in Scripture, it did literally write itself. But it all just came, and it came quickly. And uh, today's message is actually entitled or is going to be titled Monday Morning Quarterback. And some of you guys are like, oh, I know what that is. And then some of you are like, I don't even like football. And then others of you are like, I don't even pay with cash, so I never get quarters back. And we all have different thoughts on this. And it's, uh, hey, I know a lot of people just look around like, I don't know. But what a Monday morning quarterback is, is, or some people call them armchair quarterbacks. So, like, there are people who play football and are really good at football, and they make it to either college or they make it to the pros. And then there's people who... You've heard that old saying, that those who do, or those who can do, and those who can't teach, right? Well, in sports, you have even a whole nother group. They don't even teach, they critique, and they, they call themselves analysts. And every sports fan, at least in America and probably in the world, considers themselves an analyst. Like, we critique everything. Like, this last weekend was the NFL draft. And there's not a NFL football fan out there who can't tell you who did a bad job at drafting and who did a good job and just how great they know this stuff, right? And uh, don't get me wrong, I'm the same kind of fan, right? That's We live in a, in a society now that with 24-hour news and, and 24-hour sports coverage and we... We get to the point to where everything has to be broke down. We have to critique it. We have to, I don't even think it's a critique. I think we criticize everything. And uh, we can't just enjoy what we see. We have to break down why it's wrong, right? Or when you're watching a game, people sit there and they watch a game, and they're like, why did he throw to that guy? Or why did he do this? And as we're sitting in our couches, not having the ability to play a game like that, ever in our lives, and telling them how they could have done it better, right? That's what we do, and uh, so those are what Monday morning quarterbacks are. Those are people who can critique something, but not really have the ability to do something, right? And uh, and it does affect a lot of things, and there's there's a lot of times that we see sports, and uh, or anything really, and even look at politics even we don't have the big picture of something we don't have the knowledge that a lot of people have yet we can break down what's wrong with it right we can tell you why it's wrong and i remember uh 
early in the 2000s, I think it was 2001 or 2002, uh, before the NFL season started, there was the Baltimore Ravens were were like 500 the year before. They were 8-8. Eight and eight. That was their record. They didn't look that good. But I remember telling a friend of mine that I believe they're going to win the Super Bowl this next year. And he said, you're an idiot. They don't even have a quarterback. Right? And I thought, sometimes you just need the right quarterback. Right? You don't have to have the best. You just have the right quarterback. And uh, now, mind you, I really didn't know much either. I just knew they looked good at the end of the year. But so they go out and they play that year and they just demolish people. They can't score on them because they got a great defense and they got a great running back and their quarterback was a great leader, even though he probably couldn't throw more than 40 yards down the field. His name was Trent Dilfer and they go out and they win the Super Bowl that year. And everybody said, yeah, they won the Super Bowl, but they don't have a quarterback to do it again. The team would tell you he was the perfect quarterback for that team. The coach would tell you he was the perfect quarterback for that team. But their general manager and everybody else said, we need a different quarterback. So they go out and they get a guy by the name of Elvis Gerback, which I know you're thinking, that's a nerdy name. He had more talent than Trent Dilfer. He he had a great arm. He had the ability to throw farther than Trent Dilfer did. But what happened when they brought him into that team was he was not made for that team. He was not the right guy, right? It caused division within the team. The unity fell apart. People just did not get behind him as their leader. And they didn't win. They never won under him. It took them many years, actually, to ever win another one, and it was multiple quarterbacks later. But they got rid of the guy who everybody in the – in the locker room, thought was their leader, the guy they all followed, the guy they were behind. And uh, and you're thinking, like, why are we talking about football? And I only say that because we don't understand as much as we think we understand. Those people inside of that locker room seen what was going on. They knew who Trent Dilfer was, and Trent Dilfer was the right guy for that situation, right? So when I come to this and it says... Uh, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Right? Trent Dilfer, being the quarterback for that team, the team was actually built for him. The team was made for a quarterback such as that. And when you take somebody out of the situation that they're supposed to be in, the next person trying to fulfill that will fail. You see it in sports constantly, right? And it's the same thing in our walk with Christ. Nobody can come and walk the race or run the race that I'm going to run, right? You may not like how I run it, but it's the race God put me in, right? If I try to run Ryan's race... We're going to empty a church out, right? It's just the way it's going to be. And if Ryan tried to run my race, you're going to have really quick messages because Ryan don't like to talk about stuff, right? I'm not saying he wouldn't have a lot of truth in there, but pretty much he's going to say, grow up and figure it out, 
probably what you're going to get them, all right? More or less. But we have different races. We all have a different race. And then when people critique from the outside about that race, they don't have all the facts usually, right? So we're going to be in Philippians 3. And uh, I want to talk about this very concept. And Trent Dilfer and the Baltimore Ravens really have nothing to do with it. It was just a layout of it. So no more football. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. Philippians 3 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Then he goes on and he said, Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. What he's telling us here is to watch out for those Monday morning quarterbacks. Watch out for those people who are going to try to tell you how you should do it differently. Right? Whenever he refers to dogs in this message and he says, look out for the dogs, for us it's a little different because we love dogs. And, you know, you see a dog, you start playing with him, you get your little dog voice out and you talk to him and and you have a good time with your dog. That's not the dog he's talking about. This would have been actually from like, if you actually read this, there's a lot, they, they know a lot about dogs in that time period. And in the region of where they were at, there would have been a lot of uh, stray, like, wild dogs that were uh, violent. They would attack people to try to get food all the time. It would be almost like for us, like coyotes or wolves or something. But these were dogs who were just stray. And a dog will do whatever it takes to get food. And that's what he's talking about. Watch out for those people who will do whatever it takes to get what they want. Right? And then he goes on and he says, to look out for evildoers, we understand that part, but then he says, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. And he's talking about those who are trying to circumcise you. Those who are trying to act, get you to act the way they want you to act. At this point in time, the Gentiles now have salvation and they're not Jewish. They don't have to do the things the Jews had to do because they're not Jews. And he's saying, hey... Watch out for those who are trying to tell you to act like a Jew when you're not a Jew. He said, they're trying to cut you, right? They're trying to get you to be mutilated so you would follow the way they are. He's not telling them to do it. They're not even saying, hey, you have to do this practice for the Lord. They're saying you have to do this practice to be one of us, right? And... uh that's pretty crazy. And I think if I was a uh, Gentile of the time, I would have fled. And I think we have to be very cautious of that as Christians. That when people are coming in, we don't try to put our ways on them. Right? Because when we do that, they would do what I would have done back then. They'll flee. You want to start cutting on me? I'm out of here, you weirdos. Right? That's what people see when they see Christians and they come in and they're trying to change them immediately and try to get them to act like them. And they're like, no, I don't want no part of that. And then he goes on and he says, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, the glory of Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, 
If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. That's some confidence. You could say, I have more reason, right? He's truly confident and almost arrogant in that concept. I'm circumcised on the eighth day, eighth day. I'm of the people of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. If you don't know, the Benjamites were actually a, a uh, very well looked upon people. They would have been there. They had a great name amongst the, the Jews. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, I persecuted all of the church. And as for righteousness under the law, I'm blameless. Right? And we're looking at a man here. He's first saying, we're not set. We are the circumcision. He's not saying we've been circumcised. He is saying we are the circumcision because we worship the Lord. Right? He said we are circum, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God in Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. He, he is saying because of who we worship and the Holy Spirit in us, we are circumcised. We are the circumcision. We are the ones set apart for the Lord. It has nothing to do with mutilation. We have been set apart. Right? We have been made clean for the Lord. And then he's going on talking about all the stuff he, he has done. Do you realize Paul in this time period? I know Jason realized it. We've talked about this before. But Paul is maybe, and, and most uh, theologians will say this, and a lot of people outside of church will even agree with this, that Paul may have been the most intellectual man of his time. If he wasn't... The most intellectual, he's one of the top most intellectual people of his time period, right? He was a keeper of the law, even. And by anybody else's standards, they could find no wrong in what he was doing. And so whenever he's talking about, I understand what you're saying, I used to be just like you, he's pointing out, but now I am saved. Now I've been cleansed by the Holy Spirit, now I'm set apart for the Lord. Right? So he's saying none of that mattered. Then he goes on and he says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. I don't know that a lot of us, when we come to Christ, let go of our gain, let go of who we were the things we wanted, the, all the stuff. I don't know that we always do that, right? Hopefully we did. Then he says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. That word rubbish means dung is actually the translation. In order that I may gain Christ. So he's saying, for the sake of Christ... I need nothing else. All I need is Jesus Christ. That is it. And uh, I think about that sometimes, and I wonder if Jesus Christ is always enough for me. Is he always enough for me? Or do I say, I got Jesus and all these blessings? Or is it just about Jesus? Right? Is Jesus enough? Would you sacrifice all you had for Jesus Christ? I wonder if I have that mindset sometimes, right? 
And here's a question I wrote down. If you're being honest with yourself, could you honestly say Jesus Christ is the most important person in your life over yourself and everybody else? Is he the most important thing in your life? If you're being honest with yourself, can we say that, right? So it says, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. And here's a man saying, talking about all that he has done, how righteous he was, was by the law, how smart he is. He's a Jew. He's a Roman citizen. Like this man has, he has reached the pinnacle of what a man can be, and he said none of that matters because it gets me nowhere. I only live in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is only by Jesus that I am anything. Only because of him. And here's a man who thought he was righteous, only to find out that when he met Jesus, he wasn't. He couldn't do it anymore. Right? He needed Jesus. Paul's also pointing out that he would go through anything for Jesus. He would suffer for Jesus, all for the count of having eternal glory with Jesus. I mean, these are big Proclamations that we like to say, but do we live them out, right? We know Paul did because he's actually writing this in prison. Then he goes on and he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made it his own. Or has made me his own. And... uh I I always love Paul's honesty. We sometimes put Paul up on this great pedestal because he wrote all these books in the Bible and he's preached to thousands upon thousands of people. He's probably the the uh probably at his time probably the wisest. He's the one ministering to the most people at that time period. He's planting churches. He's a great evangelist even though he didn't call himself one. He's doing all the work of Jesus Christ that he can possibly do by the calling of Jesus Christ, and he points out that I, I'm not there. I have so much more to do. I'm not there. I've not obtained it. I'll never attain it, obtain it until I am in God's glory. Right? So here's a man who's moving forward, trying to move forward in that, in that walk that Christ has called him to, and he said, i got to keep going. i got to keep moving, Right? And uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. I, I worry sometimes that sometimes that we we can get to the point to where we feel like we have arrived. We have made it. I've done some good stuff. I've been saved. I know where I'm going. Now I just have to wait for Jesus to get here. Right, We forget that it's a daily walk with Christ sometimes. 
I think sometimes we can think like higher of ourselves than we should, even though Scripture warns from that. And we don't even mean to, but I think sometimes we're just like, oh, yeah, I'm good. Paul never thought that. Paul realized he used to think he was good, only to find out he wasn't good anymore. And then to find out that without Jesus Christ, he has nothing. And he's worth nothing without him. And he's going to spend his whole life trying to be more like Christ, even though he's not like Christ. If you ever read where he says, the very things I do, I don't want to do, and the things I don't want to do, I, I do, oh wretched man of mine. The whole thing goes back and forth, and it's very confusing when you're reading it, but he's just confused by the fact that why do I keep messing up, and how how am I not like the person I want to be? And it's because until we're in Jesus' glory, we will be struggling in this walk, right? We'll never be perfect. Then he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And... uh these are those things where we think we've done good or we think that we've uh, we've accomplished anything or or I'm at a certain status or I'm I belong to Christ and that's all I need. He said no. He said uh I haven't made it. He said the one thing I for, I I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. He forgets all the stuff from behind. Whatever you've done doesn't matter. Rather, it's good or bad. It doesn't matter anymore. Your works are nothing but dung. All that matters is what you will do. Pressing forward, right? Now, mind you, it does matter. As we talked in men's group yesterday, it does matter what God has done. We always need to remember what God has done because anything good that has been done has only been done by God, right? By Jesus Christ. So we have to remember what Jesus has done in our lives, and we have to always remember those. But the things we have done, forget it. Move on to the next thing, right? A person can go out and, like, you know, if you're going out and trying to apply for a job, you're going to put down all the references of everything you can do. I remember when we were looking for a pastor a few years back, we went through all these resumes of everything all these people did. And we're all looking at it, and we're like, so what? Am I right? That's what we said. We were like, so what? What does it matter? We need the person God's calling to hear. It doesn't matter what somebody has done. It matters what God's going to do in them, right? And Paul, at this point, had done a lot of good things, but he said, I, I, it doesn't matter. I don't look at that. I look forward. I press on, right? I keep going. And uh, this is the, the very place... Pastor Rod got that whole thought process of keep your eyes on the prize. Look forward. Right? Always face forward. Always face forward. Keep your eyes on Jesus and keep moving forward. And you keep moving in that way, right? Here's a uh, story I came across yesterday that I thought was really interesting. People smarter than me may have heard it. I've never heard it. and uh, But... I'll read it the way it was written because I uh, I really like it. And this is a thought process of 
we've accomplished all that we need to accomplish thought process, right? And it says, when Spain led the world in the 15th century, her coins reflected her national arrogance and were inscribed, ne plus ultra, which means nothing further, right? Meaning that Spain was the ultimate in all the world. So here they are on their coins saying, we're it. We're all that matters now. We've done everything. It's all done. But then after the discovery of the new world, Spain realized that she was not the end of the world. So they had to change the inscription on their coinage to plus ultra, meaning there's more beyond. Right? In the same pattern, that's the way we live as Christians sometimes. We get to a place and we're like, we've done it. We've accomplished it. We're where we need to be. We're good to go. And then Christ reminds us that there's more beyond. We've only started. To have that kind of arrogance as a a nation has always caused nations to fall. Throughout all of human history, every every, uh, superpower has fallen because they've gotten too arrogant and America is looking to be in that same thought process, in that same vein that we have gotten way too arrogant. And sometimes as people we can get that way. We can sit back and think we've accomplished it all and we just sit back and and we figured it out. We know what we're doing. We got it done. Like we're Christians and everybody needs to see the things we see and we sit back and we start looking at everybody else and how they need to be more like we need to be, like we are. They could be more like me, right? Spain thought, like, we, we're the top. Everybody else should be like us. Like, there's nothing further we can do. We're, we're the pinnacle. And when we sit back and we start trying to tell others how they should be doing things, or we sit back and we start saying, like, the church should be this way, or we sit back and we think, like, man, like, I, I, there may be other stuff to do, but I don't know what it is. If we're sitting around, we're no different than Spain was in that moment, right? We can't just sit around and start watching and and being spectators because, as it said in Hebrews, we're in a race. It's a race laid out for us. And if we're not running that race, we've given up the race. We're not running. We're now spectators. We're now armchair quarterbacks. We're the Monday morning quarterback in that moment. We're now critiquing everybody else, analyzing the world, instead of doing our part, right? It says, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think other, or, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. And he's saying those of us who are mature should live in a way that there's more to do that we haven't accomplished it all, that what happened before happened before. Now we're pressing forward to everything else we have to do. But then he also says, that I like how he words this because I want us to all understand this. Even if we're doing that and we're maturely walking forward in Christ, it's not for us to turn around and start telling other people how they should walk. Because he says, God will reveal that also to you, to those who are not mature, is what he's referring to. So it's not for me to turn around and say, why are these people not doing what they're supposed to do? 
Why are you not doing it? Guess what? God will reveal it to them. God will put it on their hearts. He'll be the one who convicts them. If I'm doing it, I'm meddling in their lives and I'm judging them probably. But if Christ does it, it may actually work. They may not get offended by what I say. Instead, they will listen. Now, that doesn't mean like people in your close group you don't hold accountable if they've asked you to. If they ask you to, that's different. Then you're not meddling. You're doing what they ask you to do. But if you're just meddling in people's lives, we need to stop that. Then he goes on, and uh, this is one of those statements here that it's almost arrogant. It, uh, but I agree with him. But Paul had a way of wording things all the time that like wouldn't get by today. And uh, all the time. Like Paul would not make a good anything in today's culture. Because people would be so offended by him, even though he's 100% true when he says stuff. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. <laughs> be like me. Watch me and follow what I'm doing, is what he's saying. And uh, that sounds so arrogant, but he's, he's trying to remind them of, hey, look what I'm going through. Look what I'm doing. Right? You remember, he is in prison. And he's saying, look, even in prison, I'm pressing forward. Even in hard times, I'm pressing forward, is what he's trying to tell them. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So we are following Jesus Christ, but those who are following Jesus and doing what Jesus has called them to, we should use them as examples in our lives. We should look at them and say, wow, I like how they're doing that. And you take parts of that, right? I uh, remember doing a teaching on this several years ago, and and... It's one thing, like, if you see somebody who's walking a path and you're trying to make it down to the same place as them and you're not sure how you can make it there, it's okay to follow that person to get to where you're going, right? The thing is, if you realize they get off path, you don't keep imitating them. You just look at the ones who are leading you to the direction you need to be going, and that's what he's trying to say here. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross. Hmm. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. And it would be okay if he was talking about uh, non-Christians, if he was talking about the ones who were not in the faith, but these, he's speaking of people who pretend to be following the Lord. And he's saying you have to watch them because they're actually enemies of the cross of Christ. They're actually trying to, to put their own... Uh, they're looking out for their own benefit. He said they're in, they're, uh, their God is their belly and their glory is their, in their shame with mindset on earthly things. And those people we see who are just trying to get their plans to be fulfilled or if they're trying to get things their way or or they try to get you to act the way they think you they they think you should be acting those are not people we follow those are people who are enemies of what God's trying to do those are the people just like the Pharisees who are trying to get the to mutilate those who are coming to Christ 
right? We'd stay away from them. Ignore those people. Have nothing to do with them, right? You want nothing to do with anybody who's going to try to mutilate you. And uh, they just won't make it look like they're going to use razor blades and stuff. They'll use words. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And uh, we have to live in that way as if, if truly our citizenship is not here on earth. We should live a life that we're not trying to establish an earthly kingdom. We should be living a life as if we're trying to live a heavenly kingdom, right? And, and if we're truly doing what we're supposed to be doing, It'll be heavenly based. The outcome will not be a worldly outcome. It'll be a heavenly outcome. Now, God will bless you at times with earthly things, but that should not be our focus. Our focus should be on heavenly things. So even the people in our lives who want to speak into your lives, who want to, to try to tell you how you should be living, it should all be heavenly based things. And they should be people that you've given permission to do so. We live in a world that loves to critique and criticize and, as we call it, analyze. And even as Christians, we like to do it. We do it all the time with sports. We do it with the politics. We do it with whatever you're into, you're going to critique it. And it is not ours to critique walks of faith. It is ours to help people in it. It is ours to help them in their walk. And I will say this. If you're not pushing forward and you're not walking with Christ and you're not doing the things he has called you to do, you're nothing more than a Monday morning quarterback. And we can't be there. We cannot be those people. We can't, we really can't do a good job of both, right? There's a reason why the team that was around Trent Dilfer supported Trent Dilfer because they weren't critiquing him while also walking with him. They were playing together. They were in the game together. And when you're in the game together, you realize that stuff is going on that people outside the game don't see. And if you're in the game and you're walking together with people in Christ and you're walking the race set before you, you guys are going in the same direction. There's not time for somebody to sit back and start critiquing how you're walking. Nobody's going to sit over and be like, oh, yeah, you probably should have walked three steps faster. No, because you're going the same direction and you're walking together in the same place for Jesus Christ, right? And Ryan, you can come on up. And I'm going to close with 1 Corinthians 9. Verse 24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, 
I myself should be disqualified. And he is saying that people don't get into sports. They don't, athletes don't go out to do it. Just randomly be doing it. They do it for an outcome. They do it for, to win. They do it to, and in our walk, in your race, you're really trying to win your race. I don't have to compete against Jason or Amanda or Rita or anybody else. I don't have to compete with them. I have to run my race to finish it to win the prize. And if I stop somewhere along the way, I'm not going to finish. And if I'm not running my race, I'm not going to finish. And if I go over and I try to run somebody else's race, nobody's going to be there to finish my race. Right? And if I stop and I take time to start critiquing somebody else's race, my race still ain't being won. We have to be running the race. We have to be doing all that God's called us to. Right? Not to critique other people's races. But we need to get involved. We need to do what God's calling us to. And I, I, I can guarantee... I could be wrong, there may not be anybody in here, but I am sure there's at least one person in here who probably within the last week, but at least within the last month, has felt like God has called them to do something. And when it was time to run that race, you sat down. I can also say there's probably people in here within the last month or year or whatever, I don't know how long, have sat back and critiqued other people's races while sitting in your armchair. Right? And then we have a lot of people in here who are truly running races. I'd say most of us are running a race and we need to continue to run that race. Hopefully all of us are running that race. I think we are, but I don't know. But the Lord gave me this so we are all running that race together. Encouraging one another, right? Teammates encourage one another. That's the best part about a team. We encourage one another in in the race, in the in the game, right? We're not spectators. We're not to sit back and watch people, right? It, uh, now, there are spectators, but they're either new to the church or outside of the church, and they're going to watch us run. But everybody in the church is here to run, all right? Someone pray. Brian's going to worship. If you need prayer, we're here. If you want to pray, God's always here. Hopefully you do want to do that. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you, God, that you created each of us to be a part of what you're doing. You loved us so much that you gave your son, Lord. That all the works that we have, Lord, that were were good for nothing, Lord, that your, your son came and made us worthy. Gave us the ability to live with him, to live through him, Lord, and to be a part of what he's doing. Father God, I pray you search our hearts, God. If there's anything found in us, Lord, that's not not pleasing, Lord, if there's any part of us not running the race you've put before us, Lord, if there's anything in us, Lord, that's critiquing others, Lord, that you would reveal that to us so we can turn it over to you, God. We want to be a part of what you're doing. We want to be a part of your perfect plan, Lord. And to be a church that is completely pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
do want to encourage everybody to know that uh, I had nobody in mind when I wrote this. Half the time, I never even know who will be around, really. But it, uh, I honestly think we have one of the most encouraging church bodies ever. We are very blessed. Uh, our leadership realizes that. I just, uh, yeah, we just need to be encouraged to keep going together. One of the things with that whole football analogy with the Ravens that year was they were all a team. They were unified. And when somebody else came in to try to take their quarterback's place, they seen him as an imposter. And we don't need any imposters. We need everybody doing their part, playing their role. And uh, people need to see us genuine and united. And we need to be walking in our path and doing what God's called us to do. Father God, we thank you for who you are, Lord. I thank you for for the church body you've given us, Lord. You've blessed us so much, Lord. But even without any blessing, Lord, we're so grateful for you. We thank you that you wanted to be with us, Lord. That you made a way for us to be one with you again, Lord. Help us as we walk throughout our days, God, to to hold on to that, Lord. And to press on to all that you call us to. In Jesus' name we pray.